So Gideon. Gideon is our anti-hero that God has selected to deal with this horrible situation of these invading hordes of the Midianites and these surrounding nations that have come into Israel and shut the place down. Gideon's hiding. God comes up to him and says, you're the mighty warrior I need. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm no, I am a nobody. And God doesn't argue with him. He just says, no, you're the guy, you know. And then he has him start doing things, you know, tear down this idol worshiping stuff. Get rid of this, you know. And then Gideon, like, makes sure that he's like, God, am I hearing you? And God does a couple miracles to show him, yeah, like, you're hearing me. And then he says, all right, get the guys together. They get the guys together. He's like, you got way too many guys. And he's like, okay, take them down. Let's, let's get, tell the scared people they can leave. So they leave. And he's like, no, I'll take them down. And the ones who drink this way, get that. Like, now we have the right number of guys, which is, I made a chart last week as we walked through it. This is my chart of the Midianites have... 120, 120 or 135,000, depending on how you count. And that actually is a, a graphic representation of 300 in comparison. There is a blue line down there of the Israelites. So now, now God's like, all right, now we're ready. So that's where we find ourselves today, facing the hordes. And we, God's like, we're ready. But Gideon's teed up now. He's like, you know, I'm going to follow God no matter what he's doing, you know, even though this by any stretch makes no sense because there's, there's, this isn't going to work. But God likes to do things in our lives and in, his, in Gideon's life where if he's not involved, they don't work. We like to do things where we've got a way out, you know, or a, at least a reason. You know what I mean? We, we love to do things in a safe way. So we find Gideon, 300 guys facing 120,000. And this is what God says, Judges 7, 8 through 12. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, this is, this is interesting to me. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. So God tells Gideon, it's time now. You know, it's, we're ready. It's time to go. And, but then he, he knows that probably, <laughs> based on our last chart, <laughs> that Gideon's going to be like, yeah, I'm still, you know, having a hard time with this. And so he, God's like, if you need a little encouragement... Why don't you sneak down there and see what they're saying? Which I think is so interesting um, because as he's doing that, I'm sure he's, it, 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 that's, that's when you see these descriptions that this group is thick as locusts and could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Like they're stuffed. Like it, this is a huge army, you know. And so I'm sure as he's like climbing down, to, he's like, this is way more people than I thought it was, you know. Or like you hear a number like 130,000 or 100 whatever. And then when you see it, you're like, whoa, okay, you know. But Gideon follows God's advice and he goes down into the camp. And then this is what he encounters. Uh, verses 13 to 15. Gideon arrives just as a man was telling his friend a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. 
So a couple things I want to say about this. Gideon now, I think, was probably in the headspace of God is definitely telling me this is time and I'm ready to do it. I am afraid because I need this encouragement that God sent. So he sends me down and as I'm going down, I'm like, whoa, this is way worse than I even, I already knew it was bad, but it's like, I'm very, it's in my face now. So his kind of sense of inadequacy and his sense of fear is probably at its top point. And then he hears this dream this guy has. And it changes everything. And I think that what we need to take from this is that what we fear most, what we fear most, what we feel most powerless against, the thing that is destroying our relationship with God, the thing that is destroying our lives and our family is actually afraid of us. That thing is actually afraid of us. What we fear is afraid of the Lord. That thing is afraid of us when we're moving on in God's behalf, okay? No matter how huge it is. The truth is, they might have everything, and all we have is God, and they're afraid of us. They won't let on about it. But every once in a while, you get a glimpse that this is absolutely true. This is a perfect example where the guy has a dream about bread, which we'll get to. But in the New Testament, you see Jesus encounters, like it's very, very on the surface with when he encounters one of the demon-possessed people. And you see this in Mark 5, uh, verses 6 through 10, where Jesus is... Uh, or I think it's a little before that too. But Jesus, they, they move across, and there's a, there's a demon-possessed guy who's possessed by demons, and he's super strong. They chain him up because they're scared of him because he's hurting other people and stuff. And he can break the chains, and he, like, screams. And, he's, and like, he's, he freaks everybody out. Dude is actually possessed with demons. That's bad. But then Jesus shows up, and this is what happens. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, meaning the, the guy, the guy, the demon-possessed guy, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. This is how demons think. But listen how he reacts to Jesus. Jesus just showed up. He didn't go like, I'm here to pick a fight with you. He's just kind of there, you know. For Jesus had said to, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is interesting. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him, send them out of this area, or out of the area. Sorry, I don't read well. He begs Jesus. So the, the guy that nobody can handle, who has to be chained, sent away from everyone, no one has anything to deal with this guy. He's a lost cause. He's scary and he's hurting people, everybody, you know, whatever. He comes, when Jesus walks in the room, he's like, please don't kill me. Please don't torture me. Please don't, you know, I'm begging you, this kind of thing. That's the truth. We forget that a lot. We tend to take the world at face value, which is the wrong way to take it. You know, you need to remember who, well, whose side we're on. Not who's on our side, maybe, but who, whose side we're on. You know, when you're moving with God, you know, it's a different equation. Jesus sends the spirits into pigs and they run into the ocean or whatever. But the main point I'm trying to say is that what we fear the most is actually afraid of the Lord. And God also gives Gideon the encouragement that he needs. Because, I don't know about you, 
Uh, I mean, I probably would have got the memo from like that dream or whatever, but that's kind of weird, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh, good. <laughs> and so I actually was looking that up because I was like, that's such a weird, you know, it's not like, man, I don't know about you, but I just had this dream where the Israelite army came in and destroyed us. Like, whoa, you know, that kind of is, I'd be there. You know, when you're like, I had this dream of a barley loaf that da da da, you're like, what? You know, so I was like, I'm going to look this up a little bit. And uh, I found something really interesting, and I like this. This is from Robert Alter, who's a uh, Old Testament scholar. And he's talking about that word loaf, okay? Like, why is it a loaf of what? And he said, the meaning of the Hebrew tzelil is disputed. Some interpreters think the root means ringing noise and thus understand it to, to have a sense like commotion or noise. Rolling noise, however, is, prob- is a problematic notion. But I like that for rolling noise. And he said, so many medieval Hebrew commentators derive it plausibly from tzeli, or roast, construing it as a term for a round, uh, flat loaf baked over coals. And he said, so it remains a puzzle as to why bread, and specifically barley bread, is the instrument of destruction in the dream, other than being totally unexpected in this function, like Gideon's strategy with the horns and torches and everything, or like Gideon at all. And so I, th- I made a second title after I found this, that this is what I would like to call, that this is uh, Gideon Part 4 Victory, or a rolling noise, or barley bread destruction. Because <laughs> I like the fact, I read other ways that barley bread is very, is like, that's the poor people bread. It's not even like nice bread, you know. I don't know what poor people bread is in our, in our context, but what? Cornbread? Cornbread is delicious. Yeah, like, what about white bread? Like, is Wonder Bread? It doesn't matter. It's like beating someone to death with a bag of, of white bread. That would be our... Con- our <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> you find out that, that they're afraid of you and your bread. Um, But this whole thing doesn't make sense. I mean, the idea that, I mean, if we go back to the chart again, that, like, this is, this is, who, this is what we're dealing with, you know. Numer- like we're already into, um, from a human perspective, not making sense, okay? So for God to continue in this direction is not a surprise. But it strikes Gideon, um, who knows better than anyone, because he's already made his case before God. He's like, I am nobody. Like, I'm the least of my people. Like, I'm not even a body in the group that I'm with. Like, my tribe's the least, and I'm the least of them. Like, and God doesn't go, oh, buddy, come on. You need to get, have some self-esteem. He goes, I know. And so the point is that all of you that are feeling so often like, well, I'm a nobody, God goes, I know. But when I'm involved, that changes everything. We gotta get that. So let's just continue. Judges seven, fifteen through eighteen. He returned to the camp because he bowed down. He's like, "This is the Lord. I mean, we got this." So he, he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, "Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands." Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. 
So he's got a, a horn and then he's got a torch with a jar around it so they can't see it yet, you know? And he said, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So I got a question based on everything we just read, and I've read all of it, okay? I didn't, like, leave any of the verses out. We started in verse 8, and we have read now to verse 18. Does God give Gideon this strategy? The answer is we don't know. Like, you could, impl- you could infer from that that, like, well, he's full of the Spirit of the Lord and he knows it, so yeah, you know, sure. And I'd go, fine, if that's how you want to read it, I'm okay with that. But you can't say for certain that that happened, all right? So what do we take from this? Because there are examples, like, with the Joshua thing, which is very, the reason I go back to that is a very similar thing where there's militaries and shouting involved. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to use that as a guide. God tells him what to do, and it makes about as much sense as this thing does from like the military perspective about march around the city, do this this many days, and then I'll ask I do this seven times, and then shout, and you know, that'll take care of it, you know. But he gives him a list of instructions, which they had to carry out, you know, like God says, do this list. Now, let me tell you, when God tells you, do this list, you sure as heck better do it. <laughs> All right? And let me, I'll also give you a little clue. There's a few of those lists in the Bible that are universal for everyone. I can think of at least ten. But, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the, uh, but in this situation, I don't know if God did. And here's the takeaway, I think, for us. Because we've all got the Midianites in our lives, all right? And we've all got, some of us are, have gotten as far as Gideon right now where we know it's time. But we're waiting to figure out what are we supposed to do? I think the main takeaway from this is when God says, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. And he doesn't tell you the details, you probably don't need to sweat the details so much. Or certainly, don't be paralyzed by them. Don't let those things stop you as an excuse. We love as, as Christian people to do this and also to, uh, in conversation, let other people off the hook about this kind of thing. Like, you know, well, I know God, you know, but I can't see how to get there. Like, yeah, I know. Like, that's, not, that's not how that works. You know what I mean? You're like, well, then do something. You know what I'm saying? Try something. You know, because I actually think there's a good chance. And when I would read this, I would read that Gideon, he just comes up with this plan. It might have been the kind, this is the way he thinks of things. That's one reason maybe God wanted to get him. I don't know. The point is, it doesn't really matter to me, or I don't think it should matter to us today, like at all, because the point is, the plan works because God makes the plan work. And so if God doesn't give us specific things, try something in the direction of the thing that he's telling you, okay? Don't stop and do nothing because you don't know exactly what to do. Try something. You might be surprised that the silliest thing makes the biggest difference. And I can tell you this from years of ministry with things. Oftentimes, the silliest thing makes the biggest difference. 
You know, they'll be, like, Kayla and I have talked about this. Like, you'll be, we'll be up here, and the band will be, like, killing it. We're like, man. Like, James and I, and Justin and I have played together now for a very long time, you know, in lots of contexts, including prisons, like he mentioned, and all this kind of thing. And we'll just, like, destroy one day. I'm like, man, that was awesome. And it's like, you know. And then there's other times where it's like, that was the worst thing we've ever done. And it's like, the power of God falls, and then the people are like, oh, that changed my life, and the, you know. And uh, <laughs> I don't understand why that is. There was one time, since we were talking about prisons, there was one time, one of the first ones I went to was a men's prison, and it was like the big one down near Orlando where the intake place, yeah. So, like, it's all the prisons have different function. They're in a system. This one everybody goes to. So, like, if you've been arrested and you're going to be sentenced to some amount of time, you're going to go to this one while they figure that out, all right? And then they put you in the right one. You know, like, if you're a life guy, you go over here. Those life prisons felt very different than everywhere else. I'll tell you that right now. But then there's other ones that, like, you're going to be here for, like, two months, so we're going to put you here because it's a two-month thing. We're going to focus on rehab. and you're, you know. But at the big one, there's a lot of guys. And it's not as, no one's there for that long, so the social network isn't established. There's always still, like, a pecking order and stuff. Like, this is a men's prison, too, and the dudes' prisons are intense, all right? So there was a lot of rules about getting into the place, and they, we were rushed that day. This was one of the first ones, and, like, they skipped most of that stuff. So we kind of had to, you know, well, y'all know what you're doing. I did not. And so we were set up at a, um, <laughs> at, like, a basketball court. So now we're... There's hundreds of people in front of us. We're taking over the basketball court, which most people wanted to play basketball on and not listen to us do our thing. And I was like, oh, Lord, you know. And uh, we sing. I think we do great. It doesn't work at all. The group meeting, I mean, they just these dudes are intense. I have to go to the bathroom really bad. And you're supposed to, like, tell the officer and they take you to the staff bathroom. But I didn't get the memo, and there's a bathroom, like, right there. And so I was like, it's a bathroom, you know? There's no doors on the bathroom, so I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom, and I was standing there, and I thought, I probably shouldn't be in here, actually. And then all of a sudden, like, a shadow formed behind me, and I was like, oh, Lord. My day has just gotten worse. And I finished, and I turned around, ready to go, like, you know, I'm not that far from everybody, so I'm not going to get, you know, well, you know. So that's not going to happen, but I'm going <laughs> to, whatever. So I turn around to this guy, and there's a, there's a big, big dude standing there, and I was like, hello, you know? And he said, yeah, y'all can play that I Can Only Imagine song? And I was like, yeah, we can play that. You know, <laughs> footnote, which doesn't matter, doesn't matter much. Brian doesn't like that song. But Brian wasn't going to tell that guy. I was like, yeah, man, I'll do whatever you want as long as you <laughs> back up and let me go back over to the group, which they told me, like, what are you doing? I was like, I didn't know I had to go to the bathroom, you know? And so... The, f the next time we got a chance to play, I was like, y'all, I was like, and you don't have stuff. Like, you don't have, well, this was before we even had smartphones, but there's no internet in there. I was like, y'all know this song, right? And like, I don't really remember. It's was like, we're playing it, you know. I don't know the words, but I know, I can only imagine something else. And then, you know, like, I couldn't remember. 
we cobbled together as much of the lyrics as we thought we could have, and we played it. And I'll tell you what, I, I, that guy was right. Like, it's kind of one of those, like, know your audience things. Like, I would have never thought that in the hardest men's prison where these dudes could, like, beat the crap out of me, you know. And uh, I started playing that song, which I thought that was a silly song almost, you know. And I'm, I'm kind of like Jason. I almost tear up thinking about it. The guys I saw running and falling before the Lord as we were singing that song, I was like, whoa. I was like, add this one to the every time list. You know, and we did for years. We played that a lot. And so from my perspective, okay, this is why this is important. From my perspective, that's silly. Like if you'd said to me on Thursday when we were making a song list, why don't we play I Can Only Imagine at this men's prison full of really hardened guys who probably in prison for the sixth or seventh time, you know, and are jaded towards anything that you're, you know, I was like, I don't think that's probably the crowd. You know, you're more in the Christmas shoes crowd over here, you know. I'm sorry, y'all. But, but that was what the Lord wanted to use, and I was more than happy to oblige from that point forward, you know. Anyway, we've got to, we've got to see how, in a very individual way, we box things up, you know. I put God in a box, or I say, or it's even like, even if it's this kind of thing, God's going to move out here, but he's not going to move inside the I can only imagine box. Like, jeez, guys, you know? And that's exactly where God wanted to move, you know? We've got to destroy these, like, we've got to free our minds. What Jason was praying for, we have to free our minds and start trusting the Lord and believe that when we're beating people with a bag of bread, we're going to win. So let's read the, the, this, this victory, verses 19 through 22. Gideon and, a, and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp, and at the beginning in the middle, it was in the beginning of the middle watch, which is like the, the first watch is from 9 to 12, then 12 to 3, and 3 to 6, I think is what it was. So it's like right at like midnight. It's right in the in-between, like they're changing people. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding them in their right hands and the trumpets they were, they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Some translations just say a sword for the Lord. Which while each, while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And basically panic ensues. And there's a few more details about how they have to chase them down and everything. But they win with this plan, with this many guys, with this situation. They win. So I I think that we have to take from this, all of us, that if we engage with this world ourselves, we might win some, we might lose some. I don't know. If we engage in what God is engaged in, we're going to win every single time. And it doesn't mean that, like I stood up on this stage last week and told everyone that I was frustrated and angry because we had prayed for someone 
to get well from COVID, and I thought we, I thought we had that one, and we died, and he died, and that bothered me a lot. So it doesn't mean you always get what you want, okay? But I had the honor and the privilege, actually, of being at that man's funeral on Thursday. Kayla and I sang some songs for it, and I have to say, like everybody sounds good at their own funeral. At least I hope they do. But this guy, I'd met him, I think. I, I was seeing the photos. It's like, I've met this guy. He is, you know, Crystal and them had been around. You know, I think he'd come to some things. or I don't know. I was asking Jeff, did he come to church? He's like, I don't know, but he was, there was other things. And I met him, I know. But I didn't know him. And when I heard the stories about this man, he was a missionary. He was passionate for God. I was like, gosh. I mean, first off, I was like, I don't measure up at all as a Christian person. Which, And then the second thing was, I was like, I, this is what really struck with me. I was like, you can't do it right. Okay? Because I think this guy, this was an amazing person, but I don't think that's the big takeaway. The takeaway is you can live a life that's worth living. You can run. And I want to say something specifically to the men. We're engaged in a spiritual battle here, and there's things affecting your family. There's things affecting your work situation. And the biggest thing that's stopping them, not for everyone, I'm going to say this to some of the men here, the thing that's stopping it is you. Or that's not stopping it is you. The problem is you. Let me just say it that way. We're in a spiritual battle here for the Lord, and mostly women and children are doing all of the work. That's not okay. We need the men to rise up, and not just rise up and be opinionated about everything, but God has created men and women in his image, and both of them he needs to be fighting in this battle. And right now, it's mostly women doing everything in the kingdom of God. Not 100%, okay? But we need to rise up and take, because it's like some of these battles, it's like when Jesus sends out his disciples to cast out the demons and everything, and it's like, it works, it works, it works, it doesn't. And then he's like, why did that one not work? And he's like, this one comes out with prayer and fasting. There's things like that where there's spiritual battles where it's like we're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting, we can't get anywhere. It's like this one needs a man to do it. And I think there's things like that. What I'm trying to say is let's get with the program here. Not doing, doing the same thing over and over again isn't going to accomplish that. God has things for us to do. He's calling us higher, and he's got it for every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you feel left out. Then let's change something. Make a difference. Move forward. And, I'm, and, I, and I want us to see, because we're studying the book of Ephesians on Wednesdays, and God has laid out in that book a picture for us about this battle that we're in in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our, our fight is not against other people, despite what Facebook tells you. Our fight is not against other people. It is against these spiritual forces, and we need to be strong enough to to fight against them, even if it requires beating them with bread or playing I can only imagine, or I don't know, whatever it is. It just it requires courage. Okay, listen. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, does it say if or does it say when, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The truth, not lies, the truth. The truth about who you are, who God made you to be. The truth about who he is, not lies, the truth. 
the truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness. Doing the right thing, even when no one's looking. As if you could hide something from God anyway. We don't need to get specific. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Lord, let us be ready to act on your behalf when it's time. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That's what's going to protect us. That's what we can use to protect our families. That's what we can use to protect our lives. That's what we can use in Jesus' name. The shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's just kind of what I was talking about earlier. Men, for specifically again, there are things God is telling you you need to shield your family from. There are arrows from the evil one when the day of evil comes. They're coming. And your children are getting hit by these arrows because you're not shielding them. This is important, guys. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. We are engaged in a spiritual battle in a sense for our culture, but that's so tainted these days with culture war nonsense that I don't even like to talk that way. We're not really supposed to win a culture war. We're supposed to win people. And that does change the culture, but the point isn't to win a culture war. The point is to save the lost here. People get a, there's so many casualties in this culture war because we're focused on the wrong thing. We need to be, there's people suffering and dying, and God's counting on us to fight in his army to free them. And so many of us are just not aware or asleep or don't care. And it's time. This is what the Lord is saying to get in. This is what the Lord is saying to us. It is time. And we're going to do something to end this service with the kids because the kids have been studying this exact same thing and they wanted to. This was not my idea. This is their idea. Is I'm going to go. Can you go tell them more about ready? They're going to come in and they're going to lead us in a shout. Band, y'all, y'all, come on up. So what we're going to do is this is not a one-time thing, okay? This is not a one-time thing. And if you continue reading the story, you see that this story continues that they did gather around the enemy and they did smash the jars and they did shout and they did um, blow the trumpets and everything like that. And God did del- you know, deliver the Midianites into their hands and everything. But then they had to pursue them. This is not just like a one-time thing. But what we're going to do is we're going to reenact it anyway. We're going to, tr- hey, Matt, can you switch all the lights off? And we'll s- switch them back on when we shout. What I'm going to do is invite the kids in, and they're going to lead us. They have their trumpets. They ha- Turn off all of them. Um, and I'm going to go to the back and meet them, and then I'm going to count out. They're going to come forward, and we're going to make it. And anybody who wants to come forward can come forward with us. And then I'm going to count out. I think for musical purposes, I'll count to four. <laughs> One, two, three, four. And then we're going to shout out for the Lord. And then we're going to shout while they play their trumpets. And then we're going to sing a song. And then we're going to be done. But we're going to go forward into the world with this mindset that we have a battle to win. That Jesus has won and he wants us to be fighting on, on his side. And, and it's and just kind of in like a uh, laying the groundwork of where we're headed. Um, Kara, y'all can all come in. Go ahead and come in. Next month, we're studying worship. And one of the Hebrew words that gets translated into English as praise is a word, shabak, which means to shout. 
And so what we're doing is we're not shouting um, just to emotionally release things, though that is part of it. We're shouting as worship to God. And so y'all, come on up here. Come on up here. <laughs> so let's all stand. Because we praise the Lord in the face of our enemies. We shout praises to God no matter what, and sometimes our praise actually destroys our enemies. Yeah, come on over, guys. So what, y'all have, okay, so kazoo, all right. Some over here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to say one, two, three. And I want us to shout for the Lord and then blow your trumpet, okay? And switch your light on if you can't, or just shine your light up or something like that. Yeah. And Matt, when, I, when we get to that, flip the lights back on. And I want all you guys to shout along with me, all right? All ready? One, two, three. Oh! 
when when Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve came out of the garden God makes a couple declarations he says to the serpent he's like you know you think you've done something here he's like well one day there's a man that's going to come along and he's going to crush your head and Jesus did this 2,000 years ago. And so the enemy is still roaming around like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. That's real. The enemy is still destroying people's lives. He's messing with some of our lives in here today. But his days are numbered. And that's the kind of courage we can take. So, Father, I pray that as we shout before you today, that that, would, that shout wouldn't just end in this moment. And we wouldn't expect that shout to just do everything for us, but that that shout would change our minds, change who we are, change how we think, and that we would live now as warriors before you, ready to follow you into battles, even battles we know that we can't win without, without your power, Lord. And let us be people that are faithful. And Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, kids. Go find your parents.